If you open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as always, we are grateful as we gather together here this morning to worship you. And Father, as we have worshiped you this morning, we continue by opening your word. Father, it's our desire to know, to understand, to be changed, to be challenged by your word. We pray, Lord, that you would inform us, that we may know your will, that, Father, we may live in a way that pleases you, in a way, Lord, that will bring to us great joy and a sense of contentment, that we will fulfill the purpose that you have for us, Father, on this earth. Father, we will represent you well in every single conceivable situation as we look forward, Father, to your soon return. As always, we're grateful for your word, that you have preserved your word, that we may possess it, that we may read it, and Father, that we may eat of it. And we ask now you bless our time in your word, and we do ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. First, I mean, 2 Corinthians, chapter 1, beginning in verse 8, Paul writes, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. You, must, you also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. So we begin with verse 8, where Paul writes, For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experience in Asia. Paul writes that because even though the Corinthian believers may have known that Paul was being persecuted, here he wants them to know that it has been very intense. He wants them to understand the gravity of the situation that they're facing. The Corinthians, as we had outlined before several weeks ago, they, had really, they were really in hope of a visit from Paul. He had failed to come. The result was that some in Corinth had permitted themselves to listen to various insinuations about Paul that Paul had treated them with fickleness, that Paul, you know, wasn't concerned about keeping his word, uh, that they really weren't a priority in his life. A little later on, Paul will tell them that the main reason why he didn't come was that he might spare them. But there was another good reason, and that reason is what's alliterated here, which is he suffered severe affliction in Asia to the point that he was even despairing of life. It was an incapacitating experience of this kind that explains a great deal and calls for sympathy rather than for censure. Nor was there cause for anyone at Corinth to whisper that Paul's affliction was a judgment of God upon him because he had proven untrustworthy. For God, so far from frowning on him, God had graciously delivered him and granted him unfailing comfort and consolation through it all. So this morning, for a little while, I want us to kind of think about the words that Paul used, where he says, for we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. The Amplified reads, We were so utterly and unbearably weighed down and crushed 
that we despaired even of life itself. In a paraphrase, it reads, we were crushed and overwhelmed beyond our ability to endure, and we thought we would never live through it. So the idea here that's being given to us of despairing even of, even of life is really focusing on the end impact of all this, the emotion, the emotion of this that can result from having a, a, a difficult situation where there seems to be no solution, no way out, so that, one is, so that one is totally at a loss because they feel they have no exit strategy. In short, Paul apparently expected that he would be martyred for the faith. I have a, a quote there from Robert Gramacki there in your notes where he talks about being burdened excessively and beyond our strength. He writes this, Like a beast of burden, he was crushed beneath a load too heavy to bear. Physically and psychologically, he could not humanly hope with the situation. Now the reason why I wanted to focus on that is because I know that it is not uncommon for people who may be going through a time of great stress to begin to feel like this. Maybe it's been accented even more just because of the kinds of moments of isolation that we've had to endure because of all the various reactions and lockdowns to all the things going on with, with the COVID. But this is something that is being felt very intensely by many, many individuals. Oftentimes, or maybe it's often, I, yeah, I think it's often, especially men may be asked, how are things going? And we say, fine. Whole world, we're feeling like the, everything's being crushed, but we're fine. It's all good. It's things we don't share with other people. Or maybe a few other people that are close to us. Your spouse or someone knows of the burden that you're carrying, but you're not going to make it public knowledge for whatever the reason. As, but we're feeling this very intensely. It's not wrong that you're feeling these things intensely. But the way that we respond to that, the way that we handle whatever we're going through, is very important. There will always be this temptation that when we are going through times of great stress, whatever that, whatever is causing that, and there may be multiple things, there is a temptation to begin to drift away from God and the things of God. Not overtly, not that you're denying the faith, but where you are definitely relying on yourself, on your wit, on your strength, on your cleverness to get through. You're not really going to lean on the Lord. For, and there may, be, there may be a few reasons why. There may be no reason why that you've actually thought it through. That's just your natural response to the situation. I don't know how many individuals actually feel these kinds of things to the point that they feel like they may actually lose their life. Maybe it's you feel like you're going to lose life the way that you know it. But... but there's an intensity here that Paul wants to communicate to these individuals, and one that we should not quickly overlook. On one hand, if you're the kind of individual that you've never experienced this kind of heaviness, we want to make sure that we're never the type who then assume that no one else does either, that somehow they're exaggerating their situation. But on the other hand, we want to make sure that if we are experiencing this, that we don't allow this to be an excuse to withdraw from other believers or to withdraw from the Lord, 
to withdraw from the word, or maybe even to justify um, a sinful response, not an overtly sinful response to whatever's happening, but one, again, that's not exactly holy in nature. It has often been said, many people repeat this, that God will not allow you, he will not put on you, uh, and cause you to face more than you can handle. That is a very nice sentiment, but it is often untrue. And Paul here is making that very clear. He is saying that it is to the point that he is convinced he's going to die. Now, we know that when it comes to Paul, that, that has, that's happened to him a few times. Remember, there was a couple times he was stoned, not because he was taking drugs, but he was where people literally line up and they're throwing rocks at him, trying not only to hurt him, but to kill him. He has been left for dead more than once. So he knows what that is like. He doesn't just throw that around because it sounds really dramatic and he's trying to get people to feel sorry for him. Paul's being very serious here. And I think sometimes what happens is when we go through these times of difficulty, maybe it's because we live in America. Maybe it's just because of, of the culture we live in. But the most important thing to us is to find relief as quickly as possible. It's not a sin to want relief from these things. It can be sinful if that's the number one priority or the only priority. We're Christians. We are to approach life and live life very differently than the world. So again, it's not sinful to want relief. But we also don't want to miss what God is doing. We say we believe that God is sovereign. We say we believe that nothing happens by accident because we know that God is in charge. We say that God has many reasons why he allows things to come into our lives and that God has his purposes, that God has things he wants to teach us. We say all those things. And usually we say those things because we know them intellectually to be true, but we're not necessarily willing to live those things out. And so we have to ask ourselves, are we missing the lessons that God wants us to learn? Several questions that we can ask ourselves. Have you or are you going through a time that has generated great stress or a strong emotional reaction within you? It's just yes or no. <coughs> Secondly, is there something or things that are causing you to worry or to experience a great deal of anxiety? I know we are all concerned about a few things kind of in general, but this is where this, those, there are some things that kind of tend to occupy your mind a great deal. You find yourself naturally drifting back to whatever these issues may happen to be. Perhaps these things or this, these things that are causing you stress or burdening you, perhaps they are causing you to experience a great sadness that you just can't shake. Sometimes that happens. It, for whatever the reason, we know, it's like we know we, we should be happy or we know that we should kind of be over it or we know that we should not allow this thing to affect us so deeply, but it's like, it ha it's like we have no control over its effect on us and we're feeling the weight of it. And so during these times, what are you thinking about? How are you thinking about your life? How are you thinking about your stress, your anxiety? How are you thinking about your burden or your trouble? We need to ask the question, 
Where does God fit into all of this? When you're going through these things, where does God fit into this? You're experiencing great stress in your marriage or maybe within your family. Where does God fit into all of that? Maybe that's coupled with difficulty at work. Maybe a fear that whatever business you're in is not doing so well or perhaps you might be laid off or something of that nature. Where does God fit into all of that? Maybe more importantly, where does God's word fit into all of this? Well, I want to say this very clearly. When you're in the middle of these kinds of things, it is not a matter of whether or not you are reading the word of God in the midst of this. That is not the issue. Oftentimes, in the midst of great stress and burden, we turn to reading the Bible. Maybe we haven't thought this out, but it is as if we are reading the Bible for good luck. We're reading the Bible to find psychological relief. But what we should be doing in those moments is this, and this is what it's about. When it comes to my anxiety, my burden, my stress, am I thinking about these things in light of the scripture, in light of what I know, in light of what I should know, in light of what the word of God says about all of life and God and me and all the, what, what does the word of God what kind of light does it shed on my anxiety and on my worry? Not just, well, you shouldn't worry. You're much more specific than that. Am I allowing the Bible and using the Bible to shed light on these things? See, that's very different than just reading the Bible, hoping that it makes you feel better. Or maybe reading the Bible, and in kind of a strange way, hoping that God in heaven will see you reading the Bible and say, wow, look at that. He's reading the Bible in the midst of trouble. Let's bless him. No. The idea is, is are you allowing and using the Bible to shed light on these things? Am I approaching life? Am I approaching this crisis? Am I approaching my anxiety through the paradigm of Scripture? That's what Christians do. That's what Christians are supposed to do. We are to be thinking about where does God fit in all of this? What, what are God's purposes? Not just about my relief. What does God want me to do? How does God want me to think about this? Perhaps as I'm going through all of this, okay, so let's just say you're going through stress in your marriage. What does the word of God say? If you're a man, the word of God says that you are to live with your wife in understanding. So there's a presupposition that God has made. You can understand your wife. You might be convinced you can't, but you can. It may take God's help, absolutely. But the bottom line is, is that's what he says. So are you, is that what you're doing? Or are you only thinking about how you can manipulate the situation? Or how you can win the argument? Or how you can get your way? That's not how you're supposed to be thinking about that. You, are, you should be seeking to understand her. How is it that God wants you to grow? Is God revealing weaknesses in you am i getting angry too quickly why am i getting angry what am i getting angry about what does the bible say about this is this what christians do when when something has come up in your family something is, is being exposed and maybe something's being exposed was going on for a long time how does god want to approach that does he want you to kind of cover it up like you have before 
There's all kinds of things that are going on with that. We need to be asking ourselves these questions in light of what the Word of God says. And, and maybe we should not ask the question, what would Jesus do? I don't get at all that kind of weird stuff, because you can buy the bracelet, I guess, and not really know what would Jesus do. But how does Jesus want you to respond? What does Jesus want you to do? How does he want you to react to the situation? That's how we need to handle these things. What we also need to remember is there are times that we're going to go through, that we may go through times of there's this burden is immense, and perhaps there is nothing else going on in your life in the sense of something being wrong, but God wants to refine who you are. And even though you may even rely on God, God seeks to increase your reliance on Him. Because what does the great Apostle Paul say? That he was going through these experiences. Paul, who if anybody has witnessed the miracles of God, it's Paul. If anyone's been the recipient of miracles, it's Paul. And it's Paul who says that the reason why we, it includes him, is, is at that moment going through those things is so that he might learn to rely, what? Not on himself, but on God who raises the dead. If Paul is at that point, where are we? I am certainly never going to stand before anybody and say, oh yeah, Paul was a pretty weak fella. I got him on this one. Just, I'm not going there. Turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 32 for just a moment. There's a story I want to remind you of. And then I want, I want to read to you a, a thought from, from a man who was thinking about this in light of this issue of learning to rely on God. So Genesis 32, and I'll begin reading in verse 24. Uh, I'll repeat it again later, but basically Jacob, uh, who in, a, in essence kind of manipulated his brother and got his birthright years earlier, found out his brother's now coming back, and he's a little concerned that his brother's going to want vengeance on him. So it says in 24, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, Let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, What is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, Please tell me your name. But he said, Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Therefore to this day the people of Israel do not eat the sinew of the thigh that is on the hip socket, because he touched the socket of Jacob's hip on the sinew of the thigh. So if you look at Jacob's life overall, as you read through the book of Genesis, Jacob was pretty much a guy who was a go-getter. He, he, would, he was pretty assertive. He would go after the things that he wanted. He did so from the very beginning. In fact, uh, when, when, they, when he was being born, remember the, the uh, story tells us that um, he grabbed his brother's heel um, in an attempt to be the firstborn. So throughout his life, Jacob, meaning subplanter, or some would, would say that he was called the heel snatcher, he was one who drew from his own cunning and his own shrewdness to get ahead. 
And to the day that he heard that his to the day that he heard that his brother, from whom he had cheated his birthright and his blessing, was headed his way, and this is what caused him the concern. Esau was coming, and he had four hundred men with him. So Jacob was desperate. When this angel appears to him, it's almost as if Jacob said, I have no other heel to snatch. I'm at the end of my resources. I am not going to let you go until you bless me. It says they rested all night. Although Jacob ended up with a blessing when his name was changed from Jacob to Israel, from heel snatcher to God has fought for Jacob, another way to look at it is it implies that he is now governed by God. The scripture says he limped away with a dislocated hip. And it is though God had said this, from now on, with every step you take, you will be reminded that you who once walked so proudly, who once stood so confidently, came to the end of yourself. And that is the best thing that can ever happen to you or to me. For you, Jacob, in your brokenness and weakness, you'll be stronger and more useful than you could have ever been in your own energy and own cleverness. It is very important for us as believers, we don't talk a lot about this, but we should, and that is, I do believe this happens more than once in our life, but we, we must come to the end of ourselves. Coming to the end of yourself means that you recognize and realize that you have no more strength to hold on to, you or use, you are exhausted. Your pride is gone, you now in, at that moment no longer care. All you know is that you are desperate, you have zero resources, and the only one you have is God. That's actually a great place to be. It is, in a sense, sad that it can take so much to get us there. But it's a place that we can choose to remain, continually reminding ourselves and recognizing that we really are dependent upon God. That's not just a thing we say. We don't just maybe write a song about it and sing about it. That is how we live. Independence upon him. It is a great day when we finally come to the end of ourselves and realize this. I don't need to go to another seminar. I don't need to call another counselor. I don't need to enroll in another program or maybe come up with another creative idea. All I need, Lord, is you. I'm going to wrestle with you. I'm going to cling to you. I'm going to depend on you because I need to be governed by you. As we think about that, another thing that suffering can expose to us is the idols of our lives. And this is closely associated with what I just talked about. Because what happens is that it uncovers our trust in God's substitutes. That's what an idol is. An idol is nothing more than something else that you have used to trust in other than God. It declares our need to transfer our trust to the only one who can bear its weight. We often in our society, in our culture, we, we want to see our children, we want to see ourselves develop into successful, free-thinking individuals. We want to be, in a sense, self-sufficient. We want to be able to handle our life and handle our responsibilities. And that is all that is good. That is, in a sense, noble. But that is not the epitome. That is not the, the, the climax of our life. That doesn't mean that we've arrived. We, we can do all those things and be all those things as we live in submission to God and his word. Because all that we possess, we know, comes from him. All that we possess is going to be guided and shaped by the wisdom of his word. Too often what happens because of that, 
we do normally trust ourselves. We are convinced that we're smart enough and that we are clever enough and that we're wise enough to figure it out. In a sense, because we've probably done that a few times, that's actually to our detriment. Not that it was bad that we successfully navigated through some troubled waters, but the bad part of that is that because we successfully did that on our own, it reinforces this idea that I don't need God yet. Maybe later for the big stuff. Suffering wakes us up to the fact that we serve God. He doesn't serve us. And so oftentimes diseases, accidents, natural disasters remind us of our extreme vulnerability. Our life really is out of our control. And so when we are experiencing this great stress, not only are we to trust in God, but he he adds this phrase that we are to trust in God who what? Raises the dead. He throws that in there on purpose. Paul again said they were unable to find a way out. He said he did not know what to do or what to say. Again, verses 8 and 9, we don't want you to be ignorant, brothers, of our affliction which befell us in Asia, that we were excessively burdened beyond our power, so that we despaired even of living. Indeed, we ourselves had the response of death in ourselves, that we should not base our confidence on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. So they had the sentence of death, They had the sensation they were going to die. They were pressed to such an extent they despaired of living so that they learned not to trust in themselves. So they were pressed out of themselves. So there will be times in our lives that when you and I are so overwhelmed, that is being directed by God on purpose. He is pressing on you. He is trying to squeeze out of you All of that self-reliance that you are so proud of. Again, that doesn't turn us into some kind of mush. In the end, it makes us stronger. In, In the end, it makes us more confident, but not in ourselves. Confident in God. Confident in the wisdom of God. They were being pressed to give up their trust in themselves. They were being pressed to trust in God. The God of the resurrection. The God who raises the dead. A pastor from an Asian country where they have their own difficulties living as Christians. He says this, we may say, I do not trust in myself, I trust in the Lord. To say this is easy. We do not know how much we cheat ourselves in saying this. It is not easy to lose our trust in ourselves. Everyone among us is a self-trusting person. It is really hard for us to get rid of self-trust. Even little children have self-trust. They may love their mom and dad very much, but they do not trust them. They trust in themselves. The more a child grows, the more that child trusts in himself. The more one grows, the more he trusts in himself. For every full-grown man, there is a full-grown trust in the self. We We may have no trust in others and no trust in the Lord. Our trust is only in ourselves. To learn the lesson not to trust in ourselves but in the Lord is not easy. Because... We are clever and wise and have natural strength and natural motives. We need, oftentimes, many years to be rid of our natural cleverness and wisdom and strength. The idea that's used here that we should rely on the Lord or that we should trust in the Lord, that word carries with it that one has become persuaded, that one has been won over, in this instance, to rely on God. 
In other words, I have become persuaded. I am now convinced that I should, that I must rely on God because he raises the dead. I don't have the power to do that. I don't have the power to fix my present situation. But he who raises the dead does. And so I want to encourage you this morning not to despair if you're going through times of great stress to where it might even be debilitating. There may not be for you deliverance tomorrow or Tuesday. There may not be deliverance next month either. either, Because God is pressing on you to come to the end of yourself. Yes, I think he is trying to break you. He's not trying to ruin you. He's trying to help you. He's trying to build you to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And too often, we can prolong the suffering because we refuse to ask ourselves those simple questions. We refuse to see what God may be doing. And we hold on to what we have, what we think we have. I don't say these things because I want you to suffer longer. Nobody wants anyone to suffer like that. But to come to the end of yourself is a moment of great freedom. It is marvelous beyond words can express. It is almost like becoming born again, again. And it's wonderful. We should yearn for that. We should long for that. You know, in the day we live in, there are many, many individuals, you know, there's all kinds of people who have their conspiracy theories and all this stuff that's happening and all these individuals want to talk about what's going to happen to us in the future. Well, just read your Bible. But what we know is this. Things are always are going to get worse. And it's okay. There's going to be more persecution. More and more people aren't going to like us. It's going to happen. It's going to be much more difficult. I don't know if it's going to be next year or in 10 years, but it's going to be more and more difficult to live as Christians. So, Stressful situations, they're going to increase. So maybe it's better to learn now to trust in God, to have no regrets, to not allow it to ruin your day, so to speak, but to be able to truly rejoice in the one who is sovereign. Not only because he wins in the future, but we, in essence, can win today by relying on him and, in essence, almost, enjoying the moment of, of life lived with God now. Seeing with eyes of faith how God is emboldening and strengthening you and our friends and fellow believers. Seeing how in the midst of this great trouble, God continues to bring people to himself. His name continues to be glorified. And through all of man's futile attempts to put the church down, to put the Christians down, to put the word of God down, to put Jesus down, is this not going to prevail? God's going to have the victory. And not only in the future, but even right now. And we can be a part of that, or we can continue to swim, in a sense, in misery, as God patiently keeps working with us, trying to get us to that point to rely on him. I am persuaded. I have become persuaded in my life that I am to rely on God. There's no better place to be in him we find emotional, psychological, spiritual, and yes, even at times, physical relief and deliverance. How great is God. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much, Lord, for the truth that has been given to us by Paul. 
Lord, these are things that are not fun to talk about, and they're definitely not fun to experience. We come to realize, Father, that they become more and more of a necessity as you work to change us, because we are a stubborn and stiff-necked people, just like Israel. We pray, Lord, that in your patience and kindness, you will continue to work with us and in us. We pray that we would be committed to learning as quickly as possible those lessons you would have us to learn. May we, Father, learn to rely and trust on you, knowing that we may have to relearn these things again in the future, because, again, we tend to go back to the old ways. But, Father, we're so grateful that you have never given up on us and that your love for us will never wane. And even though, Lord, we may be fickle, you are not. And so we thank you, Lord, that you are faithful to your promises, which means you're faithful to us because of your word. Give us the strength we need. Deepen our joy. And, Father, for those here this morning who may be going through times of great trouble, and they cannot rely on you because they don't know you. We pray, Lord, that you would put a spotlight on the emptiness of their life, that you would help them to realize that they have no one to fall back on, and they don't have the assurance that you will help them at all because they're in rebellion to you. We pray they would recognize that they have been living in sin and that it is their sin that stands in the way, really, of your deliverance pray, Lord, that they would come to place their trust in Jesus Christ. If we can be a part of that, Father, what a wonderful thing. And if, Lord, is to be, if you are to use someone else, we praise your name for that as well. But we desire, Father, like Paul did, to see all men come to know Christ, that they may experience the great joy, satisfaction, and contentment that we experience, even though we experience it imperfectly. Thank you, Father, again for always being with us. And we do ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.